Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. We ask you to bless this time as we look at your script, your word and the scriptures and show us what you'd want us to see from it. In Jesus' name, amen. Lamentations, chapter 3, starting at verse 14. Now, here in the book of Lamentations, Jeremiah has been lamenting the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, He's basically taking it from Jerusalem's point of view, but every once in a while he throws himself in there. Uh, he's been very dire and, and depressed up until this point. Toward the end of this chapter, he starts getting a little more excited that God is going to redeem his people and bring them back. Uh, he starts remembering what he has already known. And you know, it's kind of the way we are as Christians in many cases. We go through hard times and sometimes we forget that God is still in control. We forget that God is, is leading everything, and we can get very depressed if we don't remember he is in control. So looking at verse 14. I was a derision to all my people and their song all the day. He has filled me with bitterness. He hath made me drunken with wormwood. He hath also broken my teeth and gravel, with gravel stones. He hath covered me with ashes. And you have removed my soul far from the from peace, and for, I forgot my prosperity. And I said, My strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. Remembering mine afflictions and my misery, the wormwood and the gall, my soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. So here we have him saying, and this is him speaking as Jerusalem. I was a derision to all my people, a laughingstock. Now, this is very strong language. Everybody's laughing at Israel at this point, specifically Jerusalem. Jerusalem that was going to stand, going to be strong, and would not fall because their God was going to protect them and all these things, even though they weren't worshiping God. They're a laughingstock. And he says... And their song, and this isn't a joyful type song. This, the word here means a mocking song. All right? uh, it would be a song that is being sung in derision of somebody. Uh, for, for us, we know the song Yankee Doodle Went to Town. Originally, it was an English song to mock the U.S. troops and everything. And it was a, a mocking song, and this is the type of song that it's talking about. A song that makes fun of them. It's not a, not a song that you want to hear sung about you. It's like, this is terrible. They're, you know, I feel miserable when they sing this song. And so this is what he's talking about. He says, you, he has filled me with bitterness. And this means to be totally filled with bitterness. He has made me drunken with wormwood. Now, wormwood is kind of an interesting term. We don't use the term wormwood, but it literally means that it is something that is poisonous, bitter, uh, vile. We see it all through the scriptures that are being used, and it's always in a negative sense. It embitters things. It destroys. It poisons. So he says, I, you have made me drunk with this poison and this bitterness. And this is how he's feeling. He is feeling miserable. His capital is gone. His country is gone. He's been telling them it was going to happen, but still when the reality hits him, it's a miserable place for him. And you know, we could be the same way. We know something's going to come. We know something's happening. 
and then the next thing we know, it happens, and it can be totally miserable to us when it, when it happens. Even if we saw it coming from, from a long, long ways away, and we know what's happening, that's kind of the way I look at some of what's happening in our country right now. I go, I can predict what's going to happen, you know, just by looking at history. Now, it doesn't make it any easier. I don't want to be correct, but yet I know that I probably am and say, okay, you're going to be miserable when it happens. The destruction of our country is going to be a miserable thing. All the things that are happening to destroy our country as we know it. This is where Jeremiah was. He's preached for all of his days that you know, especially toward the end, King, you're, God's going to destroy us because of our not following him. You know, you're following idols. You're going to be destroyed. We're going to be destroyed. We're going to be destroyed. Now they're destroyed, and he's in, he's in despair. Kind of forgetting what he had already been saying, forgetting what he knew was going to happen. Uh, it says, you have broken my teeth with gravel stones. This is kind of a scary uh, picture. <laughs> you know, uh, I don't know if he means they've been throwing gravel stones at him or they made him chew gravel stones type deal, but you know, if you've ever bit into a rock or, or a pit of something, you know what that kind of feels like to have your, your teeth even jarred by that much. And some people actually have had their teeth broken by those kind of things. And this is his picture. I've got a bunch of broken teeth. Well, it's a picture. It's kind of a metaphor. No, nobody's actually gone in and broken it because he's, he's speaking as Jerusalem right now. Jerusalem has fallen, and so the city actually has been crushed. The gates have been torn down. The walls have been torn down. The temple's been torn down. All the chief buildings have been torn down. So he's, it's, a, it's a metaphor, but it, it's a, just a picture that he's using to show how bad it is. All right. Uh, and you have covered me with ashes. Now, this could have been taken either way. In this case, it's a negative way of saying covered with ashes. But what they would do in those days when they were repenting, they would throw ashes upon themselves and cover themselves with ashes. But this is not how he's using it. In this case, he says, you've covered me with ashes, uh, a regret. And Jerusalem has literally been burnt pretty much to the ground. Uh, the temple was torn down. They, they set it on fire so they could get all the gold out from amongst the rocks and everything and took every bit of gold. Uh, because if you remember, the, the temple was covered with gold. David had put away tons of sil uh, silver and gold for it, and they literally covered the entire temple with gold. The walls were all covered with gold. So you had rock and you had cedar trees, but you didn't see any of them because they covered everything with gold. And I can't imagine what that looked like. You know, to walk in maybe on a bright sunny day and have all the gold everywhere. Nothing but gold. And then they engraved it with trees and, 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 and uh, angels and that type of stuff. But it was all just made out of gold. Just a big solid sheet of gold covering the rocks and the wood. And it was considered one of the gems of, the, of their day. One of the greatest wonders of the day. People would go to see this temple as close as they could get, because if you weren't Jewish, you weren't allowed to go inside the walls, but you could get close to it and see it. And it was a beautiful, beautiful thing that they had. It says, you have removed my soul far off from peace. I forgot prosperity. How depressed is he at this point? He goes, I have no peace. And not only no peace, but you have removed me far off from peace. Uh, 
And you know, when you picture this, if you've studied anything about depression, you can hear his depression in his voice. I'm, I'm without peace. I'll never have peace again. I'll, I'll never see peace. You know, when you talk to people who are depressed, everything is dark. There is no hope. At them. They don't even remember when they had any hope. And they go, maybe way back when I had some, peace, you know, some hope, but I have no hope now, and there's no hope in the future. And that's when they're in danger of suicide because they see no hope, and they forgot the hope. And that's what he's saying here is, my hope is perished. Uh, I, I forgot prosperity. Jerusalem, the jewel of Israel, totally covered with gold, gold everywhere, uh, buildings everywhere, and commerce, the center of everything. And he says, we don't have any prosperity. And, and the way he says it, he's actually saying, uh, we never, I can't remember a time when we did. Now remember, they've been circled around, they've been besieged for, for several years, so they are starving to death. All the, all the wealth, so the people living there have been living in that situation long enough that they have forgot what it was like to have the wealth. Remember what Joseph told Pharaoh, that he goes, you're going to have seven years of plenty, and then you're going to have seven years of famine, and, this, and they will be so bad that you will forget the, the years of plenty. It's real easy for us as human beings to forget the good times when we're in the midst of the bad. And how long does it take us sometimes to forget the bad, uh, forget the good? Sometimes just a short period of time and all of a sudden we're going, oh, I've never had anything good happen to me. It's miserable, nothing ever, nothing ever goes right. And you're going, well, what about three years ago when this happened? What about you know, three and a half years? Oh, that was a long time ago. Nothing, nothing goes right anymore. You, know, you might have spent decades in, in everything going right, and all of a sudden, you go through a spell of, of wrong and evil. What will happen when people go through the tribulation period, and they're looking, and there is no hope for the end of that? You know, we know it's going to be seven years, but we're going to be gone. We won't be able to tell them that it's only going to be seven years. Right, they won't know really. They're not going to realize. They're not, they're not versed in the scriptures. Uh, all they're going to see is, Oh, woe is me, my life has fallen apart, everything's bad, there's nothing good. Uh, people are killing each other, they're stealing from each other, the government's killing us, you know, these plagues are killing us. <laughs> and they're going to go be in despair. And might even be rightfully so. If you read Revelation, 66% of the population is killed just in the major things that it says happens over the 21 judgments. You know, and you go, you just figure out how much it is, 66% of the population is going to die. Two out of every three people will die. That's a lot of death. A lot of, and no hope, because these people do not have the hope of salvation. They have, don't have the hope of heaven. They're going to be the people that rejected God and have no hope as they're watching almost everybody they know die. It's going to be a miserable time. They'll be just like this. <laughs> I don't remember any times that are good. No prosperity, nothing good. We need to be able to hope always in God and know that he's in control. And knowing that he's in control gives us that ability to step out and, and live a prosperous life, one that is set back and saying, God, I just trust you. Now, is that an easy thing to do? Somewhat some, and somewhat not. 
when everything's going wrong, to turn to God and say, God, I know you've got a plan, takes faith. Uh, you know, that's grabbing hold of the scriptures and saying, God, I just trust you. And very important for us to get to that point where, God, I just want you. Don't care what I see, don't care what I think, I just want to trust you and, and follow through with this. Verse 18 says, And I said, My strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. <laughs> Jeremiah at this point, or, or Jerusalem, is saying, I don't even have any hope. I have no strength. God was my hope, and now he's not. And again, remember what was happening here. The people of Israel in Jerusalem said they were God's people, went to the temple once in a while, not as often as they were supposed to, worshipped idols, and yet just like almost everybody, when bad things happen, they blame God. And I have heard that over and over in the years. You know, why would God let this happen to me? Well, I thought you didn't believe in God. Well, I don't. Then why are you blaming God? Well, because it's all his fault, but you don't believe in him. It's an amazing fact that when people start suffering greatly, they all of a sudden believe in a God, but, he, but it's all accusatory to him. You know, it's all his fault. The insurance companies even have a statement in their insurance policies on it. You're covered except for acts of God. All right, which means thunder, lightning, uh, hurricanes, tornadoes, you know, floods. Anything that is part of nature is an act of God and is not usually covered by your insurance company. But they don't, if you ask them, they don't believe in God, even though it's in the policy that it, acts of God are not covered uh, on their insurance policies. This is the strange world that we live in. People blame God for all the bad things that happen. They don't give God credit for the good things that happen in their life. The good things are all they're doing. I got rewarded for everything I did, but the bad, God's, God's responsible for. We need to be really able to understand that all things, good and bad, are allowed by God in our life. Now, we are maybe responsible for a lot of the bad because of the sins we do, and God lets the results of it. It could be that he's just testing us to see if we're going to trust him like he did Job and said, you know, Job's a perfect man, Satan. Did you think about him? Yeah, I've thought a lot about him. I'd like to get, I'd really like to get him. And God said, go get him. Now, I hope that God doesn't ever say that about me, but I've got a feeling that he might be saying that about us once in a while. Satan, you can go touch that person. You think you can get them to turn from me? Go touch them. And then see what happens from it. And all of this is coming down. He says, my hope is perished. My, my strength is perished. Says verse 19, remembering my afflictions and my misery, the wormwood and the gall. <laughs> so what's he concentrating on? All the misery. Everything that can go wrong, he says, I'm remembering, I'm recalling. One of the, you know, one of the songs I love to sing is Count Your Blessings. And it's not really positive thinking that we're talking about, but if we do remember the good things that God has done for us, it makes the rest of what he's done for us a lot easier to recall. If all we do is think about, oh, woe is me, and everything's bad, nothing is ever good, we can talk ourselves into being totally miserable real quick. The human nature will be developed by what you think about. 
And it's very important for us to recall what God did. If you're so low that you can't remember what God did, start writing down the things that he does for you so that you can remember them. Because there comes a point where you can get so low that you forget all the good. And I think it's a good idea to just write down, well, today God did this for me. Today God did this for me. Today God this. Then when you're on the miserable cycle where you can't remember anything good, go back and read your book of, of good things that God has done for you. And start refreshing your mind about what God is doing. God loves his children. He wants to give us good things. You know, too many people have a picture of God that he's up in heaven with a little eyedropper of blessings for us and saying, well, you get one drop today, one drop tomorrow. Whoops, you got two drops today. You can't have one tomorrow. That is not God. He's up there saying, I want to bless my children. Here, have, have a whole bucket full of blessings. The problem is half the time we don't recognize what his blessings are. Well, I think everybody has one blessing, two blessings for sure. Waking up in the morning and breathing this air. Yeah. I mean, there's people that can't breathe on their own and they're not awake. And that's a true statement if we just begin with that. I woke up this morning. Now, on one side as a Christian, I might not want to wake up in the morning and be in heaven, but... Yeah. I did wake up. That means God has blessed me with another day of living. And that means he's got something planned for me. What would be the difference if we get up in the morning and say, God, show me what your plan for me to do today is. And start looking for what he has planned for you. Rather than just wandering around saying, just another day. Just another day. I hear so many people where I work, you know, they're, uh, Monday, they're miserable because it's Monday. Tuesday, they're miserable because it's the day after Monday. Wednesday, they have some hope because the weekend's coming. Thursday, they're getting a little happier. Friday, they're all excited because the weekend's coming. And on Monday, they're sad Monday's, that Monday's there and the weekend was too short and they don't remember anything about the weekend because they had a fun time at the party that they don't remember anything about. But everybody assures them that they had fun at their parties. It's got to be a miserable way to live. To be always looking somewhere else. Instead of saying, God, you've got me here. Why do you have me here? Show me what is here for today. God, who do I get to minister to? Who do I get to share the gospel with? Who do I get to help? And wouldn't that change our life if that's what our goal is? Is say, God, I want to serve you today. Show me where that service is. If you're alive, he's got a service for you. Most of us don't see that service because we're not looking for it. Now, I'm as slow as most everybody else. A lot of times I see the service long after I've passed it up and realize I should have said or should have done something back there at that person because there's times I get wrapped up just like everybody else and forget to look for the opportunity to serve God. I've had great blessings of when I'm looking to serve God. All right, God, what, what, what have you got today for me? What, what, is, what is the avenue to serve today? And then let him reach down and show. Put you in the right place. Have you just say the right thing to somebody? Be there to help somebody. Whatever it might be, God is standing there and saying, are you trusting me? Or do you just want to wallow around in the pigsty for a while? You know, get out of the pigsty and come back home. Prodigal son reference. <laughs> All right. Uh, says, my soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me 
So the gall, the wormwood, all the bitterness, he's saying, all I do is remember that. I recall that. You want to make your life miserable, recall all the bad. And over and over again. And then in verse 21 it says, This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. All right? He's been humbled. He says, I recall the idea of being humbled. When we are humbled, we realize that we're not the center of the universe. As long as we think we're the center of the universe, or God, as, as you might want to say, we think that we're the most important thing and people aren't bowing down and doing what we want, we're going to be miserable. When we realize that there is a God in the universe and he is the one to be exalted, he is the one to be worshipped, life becomes a lot easier. Because I am no longer worried about what happens to me. I'm looking at, at what God has got planned. Knowing that God has a plan. And this is the important thing. God has a plan and as long as I know that he has a plan and I walk in that as best I can in that plan and ask for his help in that plan, then I have a higher authority than I am. You know, and this is the thing you know, we have. When we're suffering, we'll hear people say, oh, woe is me, everything's going wrong. Well, what I like to try to say is, oh, woe is me, everything appears to be going wrong. Because God has a plan. He's going to work it out for good. And as long as I can grab hold of he's got a plan, trust in God and not in my own, in my own thoughts. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. You know, lean on to your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. God, I don't understand anything that's going on. I just want to trust in you. God, I don't understand how anything that's going on can be, ever work out for good, but I'm going to trust in you because you said it, you said it will. Whatever verse you like, it's all bounced into the same thing. God is in control. And the more I realize that he's in control, the better off I'm going to be. Because then it's no longer my decision. Jesus told the parable of the, serv- the owner and the master and the servant coming home. And he says, does the servant say to the master, go have your dinner and then take care of me? No, he says, take care of me and then go take care of yourself. We're God's servants. We are to do what he desires without question. And too many of us kind of put Jesus on the side. Uh, Jesus, I know, you're, I know you're Lord and Master and Savior, but you just stay over there while I do my thing, and when I'm ready, I'll come over and let you be my master for, for an hour or two, and then I'll go back and do my thing, and then I'll come back and let you be my master. But just don't ask me to do too much. Now, as long as you make things simple, I'll take, I'll take and do what you want. Instead of, you are Lord and Master. What do you want me to do? And, you know, we have a trouble with that idea, especially as Americans. We don't like anybody to tell us what to do, period. You know, we don't want government to tell us what to do. We don't want our parents to tell us what to, want to do. We don't want anybody to tell us what to do because we are independent, free people. Sometimes I regret that. But I'm glad to be an American. <laughs> Because the alternative is to live in some places where you're not free at all. Those people have no trouble understanding Jesus as Lord and Savior because they know what it's like to not be free. We have a problem of thinking that we're free and raising our freedom above God. And this is something we have to be very careful of because it's so easy to do. Verse 22 says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. 
The Lord is my portion and saves my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait on him. To the soul that seeks him, it is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke of it in his youth. He, sit, he sits alone and keeps silent because he has borne it upon him. He p- puts his mouth in the dust so that there so be there so if so there be any hope he gives his cheek to him that smites he is filled full with reproach for the lord will not cast off forever but though he cause grief yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies for he does not afflict willingly nor grieve the children of men to crush under his feet all the prisoners of the earth to turn aside the the right of a man before the face of the Most High to subvert a man in his cause, the Lord approves not. All right, so here we have Jeremiah getting a little more positive. This is something we see in David's Psalms a lot. He starts out miserable, grumpy, complaining, turns to God and realizes that God has a plan. Here's Jeremiah making this same pivot. It is of the Lord's mercy that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not here he is looking at Jerusalem having been destroyed and he's looking and saying God still has been merciful we could have all been killed but we're not granted we're going into captivity but we're still alive there's compassion there's mercy when we start looking at what God is doing good in our life we're going to be better off God, I don't understand why you're allowing all these things. Well, what is still there? As Sharon said, we get up in the morning. We have a new day. We can breathe the air. And we're not on oxygen tanks. We're not, you know, we're not, you know, we're able to move around. We're able to get up out of bed. How many people cannot hardly get out of bed and move, cannot move without having oxygen, cannot get up and do anything because of their health? And God allows us to do that every day and gives us a new day, compassion. We may not like his compassion all the time, (laughs) but when we really start seeing that he is compassionate, and I love this, they are new every morning, great is your faithfulness. God's mercy, his compassion is new every day. And I would go even further to say new every hour. He's always there with his compassion his love, his mercy, and he is faithful. Do we grab hold of these type of verses? When we have hard times, these are the type of verses that we need to remember. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your compassion. And the more we can concentrate, and this is one of the reasons I say we need to memorize verses. Find verses that we say, this is the verse that I love for my life. Mine are Romans 8.28 and Galatians 2.20. Those are my verses from my life. Those are the ones I look at and say, God, you are so good. You have promised that everything will be for good, and you have promised that you will crucify the flesh and that you will fill my life in, in its place. You know, and my encouragement for you all is to find a verse that God has put on your heart to say, this is my verse. This is the verse that God has made important to me. To say, I am going to hold on. And you grab hold of that verse. When everything's breaking loose and, and everything's falling apart, you grab hold of whatever verse it is. 
The other one I really like is Psalms 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Yeah, God is in control. When, some, when everything's going wrong, quit looking at it through your own eyes and lean on God. And he will, he will control your path. He'll walk you through. It doesn't really matter what your verse God gives you. It should be the verse that says, this is how I live. This is what directs my life. And when t- everything goes wrong, you come back to the verse that God has given you and you just say, God, I'm going to hold on to this verse. Maybe all that you have. There have been times in my life when things seem to be going so bad that the only thing I had to hold on to was Romans 8.28. And I was holding on to the knot of that. I was almost ready to let go of that. And I was just hanging there saying, God, I don't understand any of this, but I trust your word. I trust your word. This is where we must be with God. When I don't feel like I'm saved, do I truly believe? Do I believe that I'm a sinner? Do I believe that Jesus died for my sins and that he came in when I asked for forgiveness? It doesn't matter how I feel doesn't matter how I think. If I know that I did that and I meant it, I'm saved. You know, when I'm going through hell and my whole life is, you know, the rug has been pulled out from under me and everything seems to be going wrong, Romans 8.28, all things work together for good for those who love him are called according to his purpose. May not feel it, may not see it, may not understand it, but I hold on to his word. We need to have these verses that we just grab hold of and say, God, I'm going to trust you. Doesn't matter what I see, doesn't matter what I think, doesn't matter what I feel. I'm going to put my complete trust in you and your word. And that's the hardest thing for us to do at times. God, I'm just going to trust you. I don't care. I'm going to trust you. And the world, of course, laughs at you because you're trusting God. And unfortunately, because many of us are so full of the world, we're laughing at ourselves too when we're going through this. Trusting God and we're laughing at ourselves, how can I believe this? How can this be true? And we're not trusting in God because we're so full of the world rather than full of the word. We have to get into his word. We have to be meditating on his word so that when we go into hard times, his word is what comes out. One of the greatest ways to memorize scripture is not to sit there and just repeat it all day long, but to actually study on it and think about it. You know, I have a friend that he memorized whole chunks of the Bible because he would study it and study it and study it and study it and study it over a week. And by the time he got to the end of the, end of the week, he pretty much knew the verse or the verses, and he could quote them. The reason we can't... Re- Memorize the word of God in many cases is because we're not trying. We don't believe the word of God is God's word. It's not important enough to us. Because how many people will tell me, I can't memorize, and they'll tell you uh, they're a NASCAR fan, and they know the, the first 10 places of, every, of the cars that, that raced the last week. That's not very important as far as I'm concerned. They'll know the fights, the, the heavyweight champion, and all of his fights that he did if they like him. You know, they'll be able to tell you all about the basketball game, play for play, that was last week. You know, whatever they're, whatever they're a fan of. You know, if they're, if they're a seamstress, they'll know all the different knots and, and stuff that you could, can, can tie. But they can't memorize the Word of God because they can't remember anything. 
You know, we need to be careful with that. We memorize, we remember, we prioritize things that are important to us. And when we're saying that we can't memorize the Word of God, basically what we're saying is it's not important enough to me to memorize. Because I think if you think about it, you'll find all kinds of things that you know that you've memorized. And we want to be careful with that statement. He goes, uh, the Lord is my portion, says, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. If he's my portion, I will hope in him. If he's all of my food, all of my thought, then my hopes will go there. And this is where he keeps saying, is God number one? He's changed his thought process. Before he's been looking at all the negatives and he's been getting more and more depressed. Now he's starting to say, I'm looking to God. God is my portion. God is my hope. Now I don't know what's going to happen. We've lost Jerusalem, but he's really coming to the conclusion Jerusalem wasn't God. The temple wasn't God. God is God. And you know, if you place anything above God, God's going to remove it from your life to show you that it wasn't God. Whatever it might be. God, I'm, I am really good worker. I, I've earned all my income. Well, God can do numbers of things to help you out there. He could take away your job and you get fired. He could take away your health so that you get, get fired. Any number of things could be the case if you're focused on something other than him on higher. Now, am I saying that just because these things happen that you're outside of God's will? No, be very careful. There's a balance to this. Even though God can do that sometimes, and this is what Job's friends did. Job, you're going through such miserable time. You must be a terrible sinner. And God said, no, he's a righteous man that hates evil. But his friend said, well, Job, we know that you must be a sinner because look at all the bad stuff that's happened to you. Only bad stuff happens to bad people. And that's not what God has ever said in the scriptures. So we don't want to always take and assume the worst in our own life or in somebody else's life. When bad things happen to me, I do need to sit back and say, God, have I been living outside your will and do I deserve this? Is this punishment for sin? If you don't see something obvious, and I don't mean nitpick your life today. If we nitpick our life, we're sinners. We'll find something that would be the reason for it. But if you don't have an obvious sin in your life that causes problems, then you say, God, help me learn what I'm to learn through this, this trial. If you've sinned, you go, God, I'm sorry for what I'm doing. Help me get through this, through this punishment. And just know that it's a punishment. If you don't know what that is, then you say, God, just help me. What am I supposed to learn? Help me learn. Help me to walk through this. Help me stay faithful. So don't automatically think that it's punishment when something bad's going on. But analyze your life. Look at it. And say, did I deserve this? Or is this some kind of thing God's trying to teach me? Job went through that. He said, well, God, did I, I don't see anything I've done. I've been offering sacrifices. I've been doing a good job. And then he had friends to help him try to condemn himself. And he refused to do so. Verse 25 says, The Lord is good unto them that wait for him and the soul that seeks him. It is good that a man should both hope quietly and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. I like this. The Lord is good to them that wait and the soul that seeks. Sometimes all we're to do is wait. Those that wait upon the Lord shall mount up with e wings of eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint, Isaiah. Just waiting, and God rewards that. 
not rushing around like a chicken with their head cut off because all the world's falling apart, but we wait on God and we let him be the master. We let him be the, the one that walks us through because it is so easy to see all the things coming and start worrying and start you know, getting all panicky uh, and say, how am I gonna, how, what am I gonna do now? What, how am I gonna get through this? How am I gonna get through this? Just wait on God and seek him. Look for him, look to his word. And then I love it. It is good for a man that he should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. When everything seems to be going wrong, quiet yourself in faith rest and say, God, I'm just going to see what you're going to do. Now that does not mean we get away with doing nothing. All right, God, I need, I need this money to pay my bills. And God puts a job offer in front of you and say, oh, I'm waiting for God to, I'm waiting for God to give, me, give me my money. I just know he's gonna drop you know, all the money out of the sky onto my head. You know, and God says, no, I gave you a job and you didn't want it, so now you're, now you're going to suffer. Be willing to look and say, God, is this your answer? Is this your answer? Is this your salvation? And most of the time, it doesn't look anything like what we expect. I've heard some people, you know, there, there's a school of thought that says, when you pray, tell God exactly what you want. God, I want a red Ferrari with a you know, whatever size engine the Ferrari would have, I have no idea what it would be, you know, uh, with, a, with a blue pinstripe. Well, why you'd need a Ferrari with a blue pinstripe, red Ferrari with a blue pinstripe, God would probably say, I don't think that would be your best bet, but, you know, but we have people that do that. They'll pray with exact, and I understand on one side, because the other extreme is to give such a general play, prayer, God, I hope you bless this person. Well, what is a blessing? Well, he woke up the next morning, they were blessed. Might not be the blessing you were thinking. So you want to go from one extreme somewhere in the middle of the extreme. God, this person really needs your help. They need to be fed. They need some food. How can, what can be done to get them their food? And then leave it at that. You know, God, I think you should have some delivery truck break down in front of their house and put the food in their house because they've got nowhere else to put it. No, that really not the answer to prayer because that may not be how God answers. Might be how he answers, but that's not usually how he answers. You know, and most of the time when we try to pin God down into a box, God likes to step outside the box and show us that we are not going to pin, that he's not going to allow us to pin him into a box. You know, this is how God has to do. You know, Jesus, you know, you, you healed the last person with spitting in the ground on, and putting mud on his eyes, so we expect you to heal blindness every time by that. Times that he spoke to them, times he just touched them, times, you know, and he goes, no, we're not going to be put into a box. God is always outside. He's greater than us. He's not going to be put into any kind of a box. And we are to seek him and put our hope and wait for him quietly. And this isn't just without noise, but it is just with a quiet spirit. God, I don't understand, but I want you just to quiet my spirit so that I can see what you're doing. That I can reach out and I can touch you and serve you. You know, if you're always, your mind is racing all the time and you're worried about problems, you're not going to see what God is doing to fix it. You'll usually walk right past it and not even realize that you had missed the blessing because you're so busy trying to figure out how to solve your problem. 
I have been there. I spent six years trying to figure out how to fix my problems one time. And I had good plans. And I'm sure I bypassed lots of God's plans during that period of time because I was going to figure it out. When I finally gave up and surrendered to God, he fixed it within a month. Something that had been going on for six years, he just fixed. And it wasn't me who did it. He just made it happen. We need to be aware of that and stand and quietly wait, wait for him. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. He sits alone and keeps silent because he has borne it upon himself. And this is the idea that when we're young, we, we are able to handle hardships a lot better than we're, when we're old. And the yoke is being yoked up with Jesus. He says, I want you to be with me. Follow the right way. Now, the world tells us, well, you're young. Just go do what you want. You've got a long life in front of you. Go sow your oats. If you're going to do things wrong, do it while you're young. <laughs> That's not what God says. God says to follow him. And he wants us, even as a young person, to be obedient to him. When we don't, he'll redeem the time. He'll buy back the time. He'll... He'll make it all good in the long run. Not the events being good, but the long uh, part of it, he'll say it is going to be for good. He redeems it. People will go, well, I messed up my entire relationship with my kids. And God will say, I can redeem that. And you end up getting back in relationship with your kids. All because you turn your life over to God and he redeems the time. And you say, God, I want to be doing things your way. I want, to, I want to help people. I want to do things your way. And he sits, sits alone and keeps silent because he hath borne it upon himself. He puts his mouth in the dust. If so, there, if so be there any hope. Basically, he's bowing himself down so low that his face is in the dirt. He's humbling himself. Most of our problems happen when we exalt ourselves and we're walking in pride. How many, especially guys, get into fights because they have been disrespected? That person said something that was so wrong and they, did, and they didn't lift me up and they made me feel bad and next thing you know, there's a fight. Now, I don't know about girls because I only know how men think so, but, but men want respect. And if they don't get respect, they will fight to get that respect. And the world is all about that fight not being humble, not being, being uh, lowly, not being the servant. I have to have my way or else. And I'm ready to go fight. I'm ready to go to war if I don't get my way. And Jesus said, if you want to be the greatest, you've got to be the servant of all. Be, accept this young child. You know, this child's not going to do anything for you. Be, that, be your, this child's friend. Help those in need and don't try to lift yourself up. And this is important for us to understand. God's ways are so different than the human, human race. Now, hey, pay attention to me. You know, everybody, look at me. You know, I'm the center of attention. Hold your, you're not looking. Get over here and look at me. That's the way we are as human beings. To some degree or another. Even the most humble person is, is usually humble so that people will pay attention to how humble they are. Hey, everybody, yeah, I'm so humble. Don't, don't look my way. I'm, 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 I'm humble. I don't want your attention. And the more they do it, the more people are paying attention to them and the more their pride is building up inside them as they're trying to be more humble. Uh, and that is the problem with so much of what we do is in our flesh. 
we do things that are rewarding to us. Why do we have most of the friends that we have? Because we get something from it. How many friends do you have that you don't get anything from them? Not a whole lot for anybody. We'll say, I've got, this is a person that I count my friend. You know, I'm always doing for them, they never do for me. That doesn't fit our flesh. It's not the way the flesh acts. Um, he gives his cheek to him that smites him. He is filled full with reproach, for the Lord will not cast off forever. Now, Jesus said something very similar to this. When, you're, get your cheek, when, you, when somebody smites you on the cheek, turn to him the other one. And here we're seeing that even all the way back in Lamentation. My, I, I, he gives his cheek to be smitten. He is full with reproach. Over and over again being smitten. And not freeing out there. And then he says, for the Lord will not cast off forever. Here is his greatest hope. God has sent us off out of our land, but it won't be forever. This is our great hope hope. Even if our casting off lasts for this lifetime, it's not forever. Because once we step into eternity, everything will be made new and all the good and reward will come out of it. This is what Paul said when he said, I've learned, you know, uh, what is all this death and shipwreck and beatings compared to heaven? Our focus needs to be heaven. If our focus is heaven, then it really doesn't matter what's happening in this world. Because this isn't our home. This is not our home. Our home is in the future when we get to the end of this life. Uh, you know, and you know, we sometimes get, you know, I'll put out, you know, this person's getting all these blessings, this person's getting all these blessings. If they're not saved, that's all they'll ever see these earthly blessings that are temporal. What happens in eternity? There's a lot of people that seem to be blessed in this lifetime that don't know Jesus. Their eternity is hell for the rest of eternity. They had what few blessings they have for a hundred years or so, and then they're going to suffer for millions and billions and quadrillions of years. You know, we need to keep things in perspective. No matter how bad things get here on this world, for us as Christians, it's nothing. Because eternity awaits us. Now, we want to make sure we're not bringing it upon ourselves because of our sin, but we also just want to say, God, I'm trusting in you. I have a hope of a home in, in forever. I may not have much down here, but you've promised me a mansion. You've promised that I'm going to walk on the streets of gold. Gold is so, so worthless in heaven that you walk on it. You know, and all of this that goes on, and he says, you know, God will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, yet will he have compassion according to the multitudes of his mercy, for he doth not willingly he does not afflict willingly nor grieve the children of men. God disciplines, and he's not up in heaven looking, oh boy, you know, saying, oh boy, I get, to, I get to discipline this person. I get to cause this person pain. He is the good, loving father that says, oh, I have to do this to get them to pay attention. 
and I've said this over and over, my dad always said, you know, when I got a spanking, this is going to hurt me more than it will hurt you. When I was a kid, I'm going, yeah, sure, I'm the one who won't be able to sit down after you're done. But I remember the first time I had to spank one of my kids, I finally understood what he was saying. I did not want to hurt my, ch my child's backside, but he needed it. And I said the same thing to him. <laughs> uh, and I've told people, if you, can, if you can discipline your child and not feel the pain of that discipline yourself, you don't deserve to be disciplining the child. If you're enjoying disciplining that child, then there's something wrong and you're going to go too far. That discipline has to be done in so much love that you're saying, you need this so that you won't do it again, but it is hurting me to cause pain. That is what this verse just said. It, he does not afflict willingly. He does not want to do it. Uh, you know, nor to grieve the children of men. He's not looking, he's not just rubbing his hands, all right, I get to take care of this person now. You know, that's your picture of God is completely wrong. He's a God of love. He's a God of compassion. Will he discipline? Absolutely. Will he punish at the end days? Absolutely. Will he get to the place where he says, okay, enough is enough. You have to, you have to go into captivity or you have to die or you have to have something happen to you? Absolutely. Because of who he is and his righteousness and his holiness. But he's not up there just wringing his hand saying, all right, I get to, I get to really devastate this person's life. You know, yes, they deserve it, but I'm just looking forward to it. That's not his attitude. That's not the God we serve. He loves us. He has compassion upon us. This is why he lets things go as long as he does. Jerusalem deserved to be destroyed hundreds of years before they were destroyed, and God still, out of his compassion, said, not yet, not yet. There's still a handful of people worshiping me. There's still a few people worshiping, and just enough to keep me from destroying. You know, there's enough righteousness. America, up till the re in recent days, has had enough righteousness that God has not poured out his full wrath on us. When will that break? I don't know. You know, he may say, okay, we've there's not enough righteousness in America, we're going to destroy it. Not enough righteousness in the world, we're going to destroy we just know that God has a limit to what he's going to allow. We just don't know where that limit is. And thankfully, God doesn't tell us. Can you imagine if we knew when that was going to happen? You know, uh, well, one more person sins and we're, and we're done for. <laughs> sure hope it's not me. <laughs> uh, no, I'm glad we don't know. His mercies are new every morning. His compassions fail not. And he's waiting for the right moment when he knows it's over. He knows the last person who's going to repent before he brings the rapture. He knows the last person that's going to turn to him. We don't know it. God does. And we need to always keep that in, in mind and in memory. Alright, verse 34 says, crush under his feet, to crush under the feet all the prisoners of the earth to turn aside the right of man before the face of the Most High, to subvert man in, in his cause, the Lord approves not. So here we see other things that Jeremiah is saying God doesn't want to do. He's not looking at crushing the prisoners under, under feet. Now technically, we're all prisoners. We all are victims and, and prisoners to sin. 
And Jeremiah is saying, God's not looking under there to just crush all, all of us. God's desire is not to destroy. It's to redeem, to buy back. He says, to turn aside the right of man before the face of the Lord. What is happening in our world today? Everything that is good, that God calls good, is being called bad, and people are oppressing the good. And what's even worse, they're lifting up the bad and saying all of this stuff is good. And then if we dare to say that God says something different, they attack us for, for being intolerant and being, being judgmental. Because we say that God says there is good and there, there is right and there is wrong. We need to stand for God. No matter what else is going to go on, we need to stand up for God and say, I stand with God. Now, does God need us to stand with him? No, God is God. If we don't stand with him, he doesn't really care in the long run. He is still God. He is still omnipresent. He is still all-powerful. He's still all-knowing. He doesn't, he doesn't need us to approve of him at all. He says, I'm God. Come stand by me if you want. If you don't, you'll be judged. Now, his heart is that we stand by him and stand with him. He doesn't need our defense. I love in the story of Gideon, when Gideon's first call was happened to him, his first call, if you remember, was to destroy the idol of Baal in the yard, in the, in the, in the, in the yard of his father. That was his first command. He tore it down. The people wanted to kill him. And Gideon's father said, if Baal, if Baal is God, let him defend himself. Why do you need to defend him? If he's truly a God, he'll take care of my son. If he's not, then he can't take care of, my, he can't take care of himself. I like that attitude. God does not need our approval to be God. He does not need our help to be God. He just, he is God. We get the pleasure of standing beside him and of assisting him and to help him. But he does not need us. And this is what's important. When we're out there talking to people, people will always say, well, how do I witness? How do I do this? Speak truth. Just tell them the truth. How do I witness to anybody in any other religion? I just tell them the truth. God says we're sinners, that we deserve hell, and that Jesus died for our sins. Well, I don't believe that Bible stuff. doesn't matter whether they believe it or not. We speak the truth, and the truth stands up by itself. The truth does not need to be defended. The truth is never worried about lies, because lies will always be seen through eventually. Satan is the father of lies. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue, Jesus said. So Jesus said that Satan is a liar and always tells lies. Now, and this is something we've got to remember. When Satan is telling you how bad and awful you are, remember that he's lying. Now, remember that he's lying. And just turn to God and say, God, you've, re you've redeemed me. I'm going to put my trust in you. And he says, to subvert men in their cause, the Lord approves not. He is not going to take good causes and subvert them. So here we have Jeremiah starting to get a little more positive. <laughs> He's saying, are we trusting in God? Where is your trust today? Are you following God? Are you wanting to, to obey God no matter what? And say, God, you are the one I'm going to follow. You are the one I'm going to listen to. It is so easy to listen to the lies of Satan, listen to the lies of this world, and not follow 
God. You know, and it'll be something as simple as, well, if you, you know, you're following God, and why is that person who is really bad and evil, they've got the good car, they've got the nice house, they've got the girls, they've got the, they've got the, the fame, and you've got nothing. How many people get trapped up in that world because they're trying to be like that person that they think has everything? But if they really knew that person, they'd know that they don't have anything. They don't have peace. They don't have happiness. We need to be able to say, God, I'm going to trust in you. I want to trust in your word, not in the ways of the world. And the ways of the world sound so good. You know, movies make them out to be perfect. Books make them out to be perfect. You know, uh, how many movies have people killing other people because they're the good guy? making everybody pay as they kill the entire town to save one person and save their reputation, and they're the good guy. And you're looking at that and I'm going, that doesn't match up what God says. God doesn't say kill everybody so that one, one good person could live. You know, and I'm not the one to be that, that, those judge, that person's judge. You know, but most of the stories are based on that, that kind of, you know, most of your adventure stories are based on that kind of thing. You know, one guy beats up everybody, kills everybody, destroys everybody to save a few. And that is the good story. <laughs> you know, good overcame evil. Yeah, but it, how many people died and how, how evil was good to make that happen instead of doing things God's way and letting things happen. So for us, let's learn to just trust God, focus on him, and work on, on meditating on his word and trusting in him with all of our heart. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, help us to always remember who you are and that you have a hope for us and a joy for us. Lord, if there's anybody listening that doesn't know you, we ask today that they will confess their sins, repent from their sin, and ask you into their heart to save them, and they will be following you from this point forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to get the, to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.